good to be offering up our praise and adoration to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, is it not? Good to be with God's people and spurring one another on to love and good works and to serving Him with all of our heart. The joy of our life is the Lord Jesus Christ who has given Himself for us. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, it is really good for us to be here this morning. And we thank you for uh, the opportunity it is to gather with God's people and to know uh, that your promise is your presence. And so, Lord, here we are, gathered together, and in a special way, um, the power of your presence is, is uh, intensified because of the gathering together of, of God's people. And Lord, it is therefore our desire that your word would penetrate our hearts. Father, I pray this morning that, that um, as we have poured our passion and our lives into worship and lifting up our voices and lifting up our hearts, I pray, Father, now that you would open up our ears and our minds and our hearts and pour back into us the Word of God, your heartbeat, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would grab hold of us and, uh, and shake us and make sure, Lord God, that we are um, um, serious, honest, authentic disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, um, you tell us the truth, and I pray this morning that you would grant me the... Uh, awareness of your words, your word, what you want your people to have. And Lord, I ask that the powerful work, the powerful transforming work, that that we've been singing of would rest on us and continue to rest on us and grip our lives, that the um, power of your presence, Father, would shape us Powerfully this day, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. For the last three weeks, we have been um, working our way toward a full definition of a disciple. From Jesus' own words, answering the question, who is a disciple? And this is not an information exercise. It's a gripping life and death needs to know matter. Am I a disciple? Are you a disciple? Virtually all of these disciple characteristics that we have been looking at over the past several weeks are challenging the legitimacy of our stated beliefs, or should be. Do you really believe or do you just know about Jesus? Do you know him only secondhand by hanging around with people who do know him? Like a church service, for instance. Or do you really know him yourself? Is he your joy, your life? Do you believe in him? Do you love him? The question that has to be asked and must be asked is, do I really belong to Jesus? I need to know that myself. I need to know. Isn't that why we're here, really? I, I mean, I can't think of any other reason why people would get up Sunday morning and come into a building like this 
where Christ is worshipped and the word of God is opened and Jesus is taught. I can't think of any other reason why anybody would do that than then we really want to belong to him, then we really want to be his disciples. Our life goal is to belong to Jesus and worship him, isn't it? So we've discovered over these past three weeks three um, definitions that we've put together as a, a church out of what we've been taught. We've learned that a disciple is a believer who has been baptized, who's made a conscious choice to be baptized. I, the, the wording, the order of the, the wording is important. There's no such thing as parental proxy disciples. We can't have our children sprinkled with some water and declare them Christian. It doesn't happen. There is a distinct order to this that Jesus has laid down as disciples, a believer who has been baptized because they are a believer and who makes disciples by going to people and making sure they're baptized, at least those who Jesus saves, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. These are the words of Christ from Matthew 28, 19 to 20. We didn't make this up. Jesus told us this. We also learned that a disciple is a person who gives up everything for Jesus. This is the essence of Christ's sermon in Luke 14, 25 to 35. We didn't make this up. This is not a vision dream of, of Calvary Baptist Church that we came up with. This was from God's word. This is from the mouth of Jesus. We learned that a disciple, thirdly, is a person who chooses Christ and his mission over the fear of people and the love of family, even if it means dying. And we learned that in Matthew chapter 10. From a sermon as Jesus sent out his disciples. Regularly, the question is asked are disciple and Christian the same thing? And I would submit to you that yes, they're meant to be. We have learned that the use of the word Christian and the use of the word disciple are significantly different in the scriptures in terms of frequency. Disciple is used 250 some odd times and Christians used three times. There's nothing wrong with the Christian label until you get to places like Stats Canada. According to Stats Can 2011, Of the 35 million people in Canada, how many do you think define themselves as Christians? Now, I know you've been taught not to talk while I'm talking, or at least you seem to have been taught that, but this is interactive. How many do you think? At least half. Seven people? Seventy people. 70%, 80%, well, 10%. Well, uh, some of you are really very close. 22 million, 102,700 of the 35 million claim to be Christians. That means six out of every ten people you know in this country 
are born-again believers. When I got up this morning, I was looking for my five other neighbors who would get up and come to church with me. I was wondering to myself, why was I driving down Wilson Street, which you know is a very busy street, a major artery. On New Year's Day, there's cars. On Christmas Day, there's cars. On every holiday, there's cars. There wasn't a car to be had on Wilson Street this morning at 8.30 or 8.15 or whatever it was. Just me. And I was looking around for the 22 million of us, or translated into Oshawa lingo, there should be 102,000 Christians in Oshawa based on that ratio. 102,000. So the definition of Christian and definition of disciple might be a little bit different when we talk to Jesus. And uh, the reason that our country, I think, is so messed up and why evangel evangelism is so challenging is because our country has no idea what their identity is. 68% of this country are completely daft, I would suggest, and are not in need, so they would say, of evangelism. Well, the uh, numbers tell us that there's two billion Christians worldwide. I'm going to make this statement this morning, and I think you'll agree with me. Christianity is flooded with people who have never been born again. You say, wait a second, that doesn't even compute. No, it does. Christianity, by the definition of the masses, is flooded with people who have never been born again. Well, would you open your Bibles this morning, please, to John chapter 8? Because Jesus brings his next definition of disciple to a group of people who claim to believe in him. It says, to the Jews who believed in Jesus, he preaches this sermon. And I would um, suggest that we can legitimately say to the Canadians who believe in Jesus this morning, we are preaching this sermon. Luke chapter, or John chapter 8, verse, starting at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, and by the way, the language here is they've sort of made some formal profession Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. I, I want to pause there for a second because uh, the term Christian, I think we would all agree, is a tragic joke. Obviously, people don't know how Jesus, their proclaimed Lord and Savior, defines Christian or disciple. But I think it's important for us to notice that Jesus deals in really, okay? That's a key operative word in this text. Jesus deals in the really. He's not talking about your definition or my definition or 
Christian, disciple, whatever, he's saying, really, disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We, know, we all know this verse. And they answered him. Who's they? The Jews who had believed him. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And they already aren't getting it. They aren't listening to Jesus. They said, the, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. Hey, they don't even know their own theological history. Egypt, hello? You know, you were enslaved in Egypt. So they're already bickering with Jesus. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that I have, seen in, I, I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham's our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the uh, things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your father, your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Now, we've gone from to the Jews who made some sort of formal profession to believe to Jesus calling them the devil's children. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any one of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is the word of God, the word of Christ. Now, Jesus clearly is not interested in populating some sort of club with people who are not born again. Jesus was never looking for popularity, nor was he ever willing to give people a false sense of security. Jesus is one who tells the truth. So how do we know the difference from this text between a so-called believer, Christian, disciple, and a really disciple. Well, I'm going to just share three uh, quick thoughts here with you that I think leap out of the text pretty obviously at us that really define a disciple in this section. A disciple 
First of all, remains steadfastly committed to the teaching of Christ. All right? There's a condition that's put on here in terms of disciple. Are you really a disciple? If, Jesus says, you are really a disciple if you hold fast to my teaching. Now, that's the bottom line here. The idea here is it's a decision to stick it out over the long haul to believe in Christ. While others leave, while others cave, while others explain away the teachings of Christ, you over the long haul of your life hold fast to the teachings of Jesus Christ. As soon as he went there, they were, wait a second, we believe in God. That's what they said. We're, we're about God. That's where people leap in our country. That's where 20 probably plus million of them have misunderstood the definition of Christian to be some sort of acknowledgement of God. God keep our land glorious and free. Well, I guess I'm a Christian. Jesus says, no, Christians are those who hold steadfastly, unwaveringly, treasure, value, give life to, uh, for the teachings of Christ. My teachings, he says. Now, let's understand something that from the very beginning, God made us, God made humans in the image of God, in the image of himself. Everybody, every single human being in the face of this world, whoever has been or ever will be, is made in the image of God. And what that means is we were all made to think like God. And to the degree to which we stray from thinking like God, our minds become defective. And if you want some sort of explanation as to why the world is in the condition it's in, it's because the majority of people in our world have refused to think like God, have rebelled against God, all we like sheep have gone astray, have refused to think like God, and their minds have become defective. And um, because of that, because of that, our minds are, are no longer in sync with the thinking of God. And the world, therefore, is incapable of thinking morally. So while they were ready to say, I believe in God, uh, Jesus is saying to them, wait a second, you're ready to murder me. What kind of thinking is that? My father in heaven would, would not have, hold to such thinking. Your father Abraham would not hold to such thinking. I believe in God, therefore I must be a Christian. But when you really start to probe and ask questions of the people who claim this, you ask them, well, do you abide by the teachings of Jesus Christ? Well, no, no, I'm not, that, I'm not fanatical about it. I don't go that far. Jesus says, no, that's who my disciples really are. They hold fast to everything I have taught them and am teaching them. They were hung up on the issue of God. And he says, if God were your father, verse 42, you would love me because I came from God. I was sent from him. I'm here. That's why you need to follow my teaching. John, the gospel writer in the first chapter of John, giving us an insight into the incarnation and who Jesus really is, in John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is uh, at the Father's bosom, has made him fully known to us. That's what the... Uh, 
description there really means. And so that's why Jesus could say in John 14, verse 9, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And, and that's why these who were arguing with him who said, well, we believe in God. What are you talking about? He's saying, if you believe in God, you would abide by my teachings. You would hold fast to my teachings. Because I'm the one who's come from the Father. I am the living God. And only the real can abide or remain or be at home in God's Word. You see, the Spirit of God is essential to the understanding and holding to the Scriptures. They were having trouble hearing. They were having trouble understanding. They were unwilling to welcome the teachings of Christ. Why? Well, it says in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, However, as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit in His Word. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So, Christ makes the point here that, that um, the reason that you're unable to understand or hear or welcome the truth of my teachings is because you do not have the Spirit of God. You are not of mine. You do not belong to me. Only true disciples have the Spirit of God, Romans 8 9. So how many Canadians really do have the Spirit of God and are really born again? Because those who drift away to other teachings that are off track from Christ's teachings are not his disciples. This, this teaching here is not of Christianity or whatever. It's not some sort of hobby. It's, it's not interesting suggestions made by a, a, a good teacher. Jesus is saying the requirement is to hold fast to the scriptures, to hold fast to the teachings uh, for dear life. As if your life depended on it, because it does. And he says to them, then, those who are holding to my teachings, those who are going to hold on to my teachings, know the truth. Secondly, the truth that's revealed in and by Jesus. Now, this is not a, a claim that, that those who hold on to the scriptures know all truth, know all that there is. We don't suddenly become experts in geometry and calculus and all things scientific and, and uh, uh, marvelous, but we become knowledgeable and fully aware of the saving truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the truth. It's said of Jesus that he came full of truth and grace. And so those who have embraced, embraced the teachings of Christ know the truth because Christ brings the truth. And this idea of knowing the truth is, is experiencing the truth, experiencing it as true and life-changing, life-transforming. What Jesus is teaching here and what we proclaim in terms of the evangel, the gospel, is, is a life game-changer. Jesus is saying here that, that those who are truly my disciples Know the truth that actually transforms living. It changes you. 
I mean, we were singing this great song of a few minutes ago, the power of God's love is changing me, changing me. Now, we were either just singing a song and lying, or it was true. It is true of our lives. If we are embracing the truth, Jesus says, those who are really my disciples and are, are, are actually knowing the truth by experiencing it are truly having their lives changed. That's what this is all about. The point of knowing God's truth is to be changed by obeying it. The more you know and obey, the greater the change. That, this is crucial. If you do not obey the truth of Jesus Christ, you will not change. When the Holy Spirit comes to us, there's not a, he doesn't change us by some miraculous zap. We are changed by obeying the truth of God's word, enabled and empowered by the Spirit of God to welcome it and to obey it. And in the obeying of the truth, the living word comes alive in our lives and God shapes us and changes us more and more into the image of Christ. So that our thinking is no longer defective. We stop straying from the truth and, and obeying the truth. And our minds are renewed, Romans 12, 2. And so our minds are being reshaped to think like Jesus. And then to live like Jesus. Faith is taking God at his word by doing what he says. And then experiencing the results of acting in faith. You know, Jesus made this declaration to Pilate when they were having this argument. You recall when just before the crucifixion, they were having this debate about truth. And Jesus said to Pilate, it's, this is the reason that I came. He says, the reason that, that I came into this world is to testify to the truth. And then he said this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. John 18, 37. And only those who are real can obey. The love for and of God moves to obedience of God's truth. That's why Jesus said to them, if you were of God, you would love me. And in loving me, you would obey me, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's not, there's no way, therefore, that you could be loving me because you're not obeying my commandments. And therefore, if you're not obeying my commandments, you don't love me. If you don't love me, you don't love God. That's the logic with which Jesus is presenting this sermon to those who claim to believe in Jesus. The 22 million of us in Canada. Now, it is so, so important for you to understand that learning alone will not change you. That's the grave danger of this kind of interaction, where I stand up here and I give you more new information about Jesus Christ. In fact, um, Francis Chan in his book, Multiply, makes the insight, and I think he's absolutely right, that the more that you learn about Jesus and don't act upon it, it's possible that, that in that greater learning you may actually grow further away from God. 
He's absolutely right about that. The great danger is to sit down and say, well, that was really good information to know. That was really fantastic. Thanks, Pastor, for a good word this morning. I know so much more about Jesus now. Jesus did not give his teachings that we might be the more theologically acute. The, the sheer learning of the things of God, the, the sheer... Uh, education of theology does not change our lives. There are plenty of, uh, of um, dead theological colleges and dead theological professors who spew forth all kinds of true things about God, true things about Jesus. And people gather information in a lecture format and refuse to obey the things that they're taught and grow further and further away from God because their hearts get colder and colder as they continue to say no to this and no to that and disobey this and disobey that. Knowing the truth doesn't change you. It will only puff you up, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8.1. Learning about God is for living and thinking like God. We are not to be hearers only but doers. You know this. And in remaining in his teachings and in knowing by experience the truth through obedience that transforms and changes our lives, we are set free. The truth will set you free. That really got to them. Set free from what? We're not in prison. We're not enslaved. Try that message in, the Canada, in, in, the, in Joe Public in Canada. Jesus will set you free. They'll look at you like, what are you talking about? I can go here. I can go there. I can do this. I can do that. I can travel over there. I'm, not, I'm totally free. Donald Carson was right when he wrote that um, from Jesus' perspective, even Caesar was a slave. Because the freedom that Christ is talking about is not political freedom. It's not physical freedom, although it becomes that. It's freedom from sin. That's what he's talking about here. You will be set free from sin. To Jesus, the ultimate bondage is to be unable to be freed from sin. To all the so-called Christians out there, to the ones who believed in Jesus, he's saying, you can't obey and you can't understand, and if you can't stop sinning, then you can't be in my family. Jesus did not come as a political messiah. If he did, he was miserably, a miserable failure. He left this world and left behind his disciples under the oppressive regime of Rome. He came to be the moral Messiah, the spiritual Messiah, the deliverer, the one who delivers our hearts from sin. Bondage to moral failure is the worst kind of slavery possible. It's what leads people to, to go into a mall in Kenya and kill 
innocent people under the name of religion. And Jesus is saying, I don't care what you call that kind of God. You can call him Allah. You can call him God. You can call him whatever he is. He's not me. That's not my teaching. That's bondage to sin. That's true slavery when you go and you create those kind of heinous acts. I've come to set you free. Bondage to moral failure comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Bondage to substances or relational behavior or bondage to verbal or mental or sexual or integrity issues or honesty issues or material fixations or idolatry. These are the things that truly enslave people. Enslave them for a lifetime and then spit them out at the end and throw them into hell. Jesus would say to us if he were here this morning, I'd rather be in a really small jail cell and never be allowed out of it, but be free from sin because I am free indeed. I'm part of the family. The son, it says, has a permanent place. The slave has no permanent place. And if the son who is the head of the household of those who are freed of slavery sets you free, you are free indeed. That's to be truly free. The proclamation of the gospel is to tell people about being freed from their sinfulness, their bondage and slavery to have to do today what they did yesterday and the next day and the same thing over and over again and never to get out of it. Only Jesus can set people free, and the freed who welcome the truth gain a permanent place in the family of God forever. And it's the place that you want to have. You know, the, the great sadness of all of this, it would seem to me, is these Jews who made this formal profession, they, they wanted, at least they thought they wanted Jesus. They wanted, they, they were desperately looking for something. Clearly... They had not found what they were looking for. And so maybe it was Jesus. And I would submit to you that the 22 plus million people in Canada will we'll narrow our, our scope to that, they, they, calling themselves Christian. They have this longing to belong to, to the God of heaven somehow. But they want him on their own terms. They want to ignore the teachings of Christ. They want to live in disobedience. They want to be slavery to slaves to sin. If you're not free from sin, you've been believing only but not obeying. It's not good enough. False disciples believe Jesus when it is convenient. And when it's in line with their already chosen morals. But they will fiercely oppose him when his commands counterattack preferred lifestyle choices. And that's what they did. All they did with Jesus, he offered them the truth to set them free. And they just argued with him. You know, we started out, to, if you noticed the first slide, you might not have disciples or devil's children. 
That's a pretty big contrast. And if we were to go to those 22 million people in Canada and say, what would you rather be, a disciple or a devil's child? They'd take disciple every time. And Jesus would look at them with broken-heartedness and say, you are devil's children. What do you mean we're devil's children? We'll summarize this because you need to see the list of reality here. Devil's children choose to sin, verse 34, doing what they have heard from their father, who isn't Abraham but is the father of lies. Devil's children have no room for Jesus' word. Verse 37, you have no room for my word. Their mind is defective. They don't think like God. In verse 40, they bristle at the truth. They want to kill the messenger. <laughs> they want to actually kill Jesus, who brings them truth and life and the way. In verse 42, they don't love Jesus, and therefore they couldn't possibly love God. Whatever it is, it isn't Christianity if it doesn't love Jesus. In verse 43, they can't believe the truth because it is the truth. And it's a different language that they can't understand because their nature is from their father, the father of lies. They can't hear this teaching. There, there are some people perhaps in here this morning, and this is the great uh, heartbreak of me, is that, that you don't even understand what I'm talking about this morning. You can't even hear this. It's a language you don't even understand. What is he talking about? Because their native language is lies. But those who are really his disciples, our native language is truth. We understand truth. We know the difference. In verse 43 and 47, they can't welcome the logic of God's truth because they're spiritual de spiritually deaf. Jesus says, you can't even hear what I say. In verse 44, they continue the murder and deception of the entire human race. How do, they, how do they do that? How do lost people do that? Well, Satan was successful in tempting Adam and Eve to disregard and disobey God's truth, which brought sin into the world and through him, death to the entire human race. And these who follow after him and abide and hold fast to his lies are perpetuating this death and murder. It's all around us, everywhere in the world. Where do you think it comes from? And finally, in verse 39 and 47, they do not belong to God because they prefer their religious traditions. The sadness of all of this is that these were religious people and they were looking for Messiah and they wanted Jesus to be Messiah, but no way were they going to surrender their lives and their way to follow his teachings. And tragically, they came that close to eternity forever and lost it. Stubborn religious stumble onto salvation truth, but they bicker with the scriptures when it conflicts with what they want to believe. And what that does is may keep them from being free in Christ and not a disciple of Jesus, but rather just a disciple of a type of religion. That's the tragedy of this exchange. 
And the tragedy, I'm afraid, for probably 22 million or 20 million of those people. I find from this text a very sobering, sobering definition. A disciple is a person who has been set free from sin, keeps living in Christ's teaching, and by obeying God's word is changed to, th to think and act like Christ. That's who a disciple really is. Our Father, I thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is a truth teller. And I thank you, Lord, not because of our own savvy or because of our own intelligence or because of our own ability, but because of your grace. You have opened up our hearts and our minds to welcome the truth. Without that, Lord, we would stumble around in the darkness. And so, Lord God, I pray for us this morning. It is my great burden that no one in this room would leave and not really be a disciple. Oh God, to know the truth and then not to be set free is too devastating to imagine. And so our Father, in so many elements of this service this morning, the offer of salvation has gone forward. The truth of the gospel from the lips of small children, from the praise and voices of people, your people, from the prayers of God's people, from the welcome and love that we've shared with each other to the word of God, it's been truth told to each other that Jesus' teachings are to be held on to, to be held fast to, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus is the only one who can set us free. And so, our Father, I pray this morning that those who know this truth have heard it and welcome it and have been reaffirmed in their uh, discipleship. Lord, I praise you and thank you and we, we extol your greatness and we worship you and we thank you and we love you. But Lord God, for those who are yet to embrace this truth, Lord, would repentance come today? God, would you bring upon our lives conviction would you bring heavy conviction now upon the hearts and lives who are in here that would turn to Christ, turn from their own ways, turn from their own lies, turn from, from, uh, from going in a, a direction opposite and rebelling against the thinking of God and turn to Christ where salvation is found. For in no other name may we be saved. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we may be saved but the name Jesus Christ alone. Oh God, I pray this morning that you would bring salvation to this house. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Let me, in closing, take a moment and make sure that we understand that, that you are not a Christian if you insist upon ignoring the teachings of Jesus Christ and you do not hold fast to them and treasure them for the words of life that they are. You are not a Christian unless you do that. You are not a Christian if you just know the word of God, but you don't experience life change because of the word of God, because of obeying the word of God. You are not a Christian. 
You are not a Christian if you are continuing over and over again to sin. Christians have been set free from sin. Do we ever sin again? Yes. Do we sin over and over again, trapped and enslaved in the same sin over and over and over and over again? No. We've been set free from that. Christians, real disciples, really, Jesus said, disciples, hold fast to my teaching. They know the truth by the experience of obeying it and are set free from sin. This is who we are. Now, I'm going to pray and release you to live lives that are truly disciples of Christ. But if your heart is conflicted this morning, don't leave this place unless you are sure you are really a disciple. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent and say, I have not been living the teachings of Christ. I, I have not been obeying the teachings of Christ. I'm not set free from sin. I have not received the Lord, but today I must receive him. Come to him. He will welcome you. Our pastors will be right here at the front. If your heart is conflicted, do not, do not leave until you have come to faith in Christ this day. Our Father and our God, I ask that you would not release those who are in unbelief from this room until the soul has been wrestled by the life-transforming, saving work of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, would you save the lost in this place today, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.